Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the message. For more in-depth content and answers to questions submitted during the sermon, check out our podcast called Postscript. You can find it on iTunes or on our website at faithbridge.org forward slash podcast. Well, howdy! It's good to see you guys. Merry Christmas. I hope you're doing well. Uh, If you have a Bible, we are in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, if you'd like to turn there, Philippians chapter 4, I want to read to you, uh, starting in verse 6. We'll read a few verses together, pray, uh, and then jump in to an important holiday topic. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, says this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just want to, I want to pray that the promises in this text would be true for all of us as we walk out of here today, that the peace of God would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and that the God of peace would be with us, that we would, we would be close with you, God and sense your nearness, and that would give us peace, no matter what we're dealing with today, Uh, whether it be an avalanche of great things or whether it be a sea of really difficult things or some complex interweaving of all of that. Whatever we're in, God, I just pray that your peace would be real to us and help us understand this passage what it means for us, what it would be like to be a peaceful people in the midst of an uncertain world. And I just want to invite you, if you're willing, take a minute and ask him, say, God, please teach me something right now. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I remember my junior year in college, there was one afternoon where I felt a sharp pain in my chest. And then it felt like someone was pressing in, trying to crush my sternum. And it became difficult to breathe. And I was sitting there experiencing this. And as it went on, I started to ask myself, what is going on? And I thought, am am I having a heart attack? And then I thought, no, I'm way too young to be having a heart attack. And then it hit me, is it the barbecue? Because I had been eating off the same plate of barbecue for about a week and some change. And uh, I was like, is this what heartburn is? And I'm like, oh my God, the, the barbecue is 
killing me. And then I instantly thought, what a dumb way to die. And I remember asking him, like, God, please, like, don't let me go out like that. You know, like, I don't want my roommates to come find me. And then they have a funeral and they go, what happened to him? They're like, it's a barbecue. He just ate it way past what was, you know, appropriate. And uh, I was like, don't let this be the way I go out. And uh, I survived the afternoon. But the pain persisted for, for days, and it was difficult to breathe, and I really couldn't get my heart up rate up at all without just a really crushing pain. And so I went to the doctor going, what is happening to me? And I'll never forget, if they did some tests, he asked me some questions. He said, do you drink? I said, no. He said, do you smoke? I said, no. And he said, are you stressed? And I said, no. And he said, okay, let me ask you some questions. He said, what's going on in your life right now? I was like, I don't know, man, not that much. I mean, like I'm a normal costume. I'm taking 15 hours. And so I got like three tests and two projects and a final's coming up and I'm trying to pass this semester because I'm trying to figure out what my major is and how I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. And meanwhile, I'm in three organizations and leadership of two of them. We got some big events coming up. And meanwhile, I also uh, uh, pay for school. And so I got a job and I'm working 15 hours. And I'm trying to figure out how to pay rent this month and I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with that. And meanwhile, I'm dating this girl and I'm not really sure if she's the one and Christmas is coming up. And that's usually a big time to analyze the relationship. And I'm not sure where it's going. And a little afraid to think Think about what that means the next time I see her. And the reality is also, you know, I've got to try to figure out like uh, what my life's going, where it's going and what's wrong with me and where's the world headed and what am I supposed to play in it? I'm trying to figure out all these big existential questions. And he's like, okay, all right, time out. Uh, he's like, uh, you're stressed and you just need to calm down. And that was the meeting. And he didn't give me much advice on it. But I'll tell you one thing that I learned in that moment as a young man was, wow, I learned the power of anxiety. Like it was weird to me in that moment that he was saying, hey, here's some chemicals that could affect your body in a negative way, or here's just your way of responding to life. Your anxiety can physically hurt you. That was mind blowing to me. And as a young man, I remember that's when I learned you have to respect the power of anxiety, and I bring that up today because some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't have heart problems yet. Maybe you've never thought the barbecue's killing you or something like that. But I think for many of us in here, you've maybe had a, a restless night. You've had sleep deprived because you've been laying in bed thinking about that thing that's coming up that you don't know how to handle and you're not sure how it's going to go. And there's some situations ahead of you that you don't think you can control and you're worried about the outcome. And you go, how am I going to get out of this? What is that person going to think? How are we going to navigate this? What if that happens? And you've had all these questions and mysteries rolling around in you and they've produced stress, anxiety, and they've robbed you from something basic like sleep. I think some of you know exactly what that feels like. This is a question before we go any deeper on this, just to understand kind of who's in the room too. Anybody have any experience with what I'm talking about? Anybody ever feel stressed or anxious? Anyone? Okay, a handful of us. All right, sure. Yeah. Anybody feeling it right now, like Christmas is doing it to you? Okay, all right, okay. So we're on the right track here. The most frequent reason students go to counseling at A&M, as I've talked to the counselors I know, is because of anxiety. I don't know how to process the stress. And it's not just students. The top selling drugs in the United States and the world are Abilify and Nexium, an antidepressant and an antacid. Because we don't know how to deal well with the world around us. And it hurts us when we don't know how to process anxiety well. So we got to figure this out. Because the reality is anxiety can motivate. Anxiety can get you moving, but it's often not places you want to be. 
And one old preacher said it this way, and I loved it. He said, anxiety is a condition of the heart that gives rise to many sinful states of mind. He says, you let anxiety rest in your heart. It'll move you. The problem is it'll move you into a host of bad ways of interacting with the world. And many of us have seen that. Stress or anxiety about grades as a student can lead you to cheat. Rutgers University did a study of 32 universities a few years ago, and they find out, self-reported, that 74% of business students and 68% of all other students admitted to some form of cheating in college, which I don't know why the business students were so much higher. Like, I don't know if they're just the more ambitious kids or if they're just more honest. They're like, yeah, dude, I cheat. I love it. You know, like, uh, I don't know if they think that's okay or if the rest were philosophy students. Like, what is cheating? And you're like, it's... It's what you're doing right now. But um, the reality is 74% of undergraduate students are saying, yes, I got so spun up about grades and so afraid I was willing to completely violate my integrity and risk getting thrown out of this school to pass this test. That anxiety moved them, but not to a very fruitful place. And some of you, anxiety about dating or anxiety about uh, being lonely can lead you into some relationships and clinging to some that are really unhealthy or damaging to you. Some of you, anxiety about finances has led you to make some really unwise decisions. Or social anxiety about being liked has led you to compromise your integrity over and over again to get the approval of a certain amount of people. And anxiety can motivate you. But the reality is it often moves you in some places that are real destructive. It's a gateway to a whole host of unhealthy ways of engaging the world. And not only that, I think the saddest thing about it is you can miss the beautiful things God wants to do. Jesus told a story early in his ministry. It's a parable and and he was talking about soils and he was using them as a picture of the human heart. He says, your heart is like like the soil and the, the seed is like the word of God, like that God has some things he wants to say to you. And he wants to say them to you and he wants the words of God to sink like a seed into the soil of your heart and he wants it to grow in you, to flourish in you, to be fruitful in you, that God wants to speak some things to you that bring life into you and out of you. That's what God wants. And he says, but a lot of people that hear the words of God, it's never gonna have that kind of fruitfulness in their life. And they asked him why, and there was a host of reasons, but one of them, he said, it's like that little plant of the words of God is beginning to grow, and it'll be choked out by weeds. And his disciples asked him, what do the weeds represent? And he says, the weeds represent the worries of this life, that we'll get so spun up and agitated about some of the normal things in life that we will completely shut out the voice of God. And we'll miss out on some beautiful, life-giving things because we're so anxious about the common things in life. And Jesus challenged his disciples in Luke chapter 12. He says, don't be anxious. And then he walked them through. Hey, God feeds the birds. God clothes the field. If God is your dad, he's going to take care of you. Don't be anxious. And then he told them, if you are, he says, oh, ye of little faith that when we lack trust in God, that he's a good dad that cares about us and can take care of us, then we open our heart up to be anxious about the uncertainty of this world. And he says that is not meant to be the hallmark of the saints of God. People who know God as father are meant to be peaceful people. And let me tell you something this morning, Christian, the world is unimpressed when we sing about the Prince of Peace but live lives of stress. 
that's not a good witness to who he is. And Jesus told his disciples, a peacefulness, a lack of anxiety should be a hallmark of my people. It's interesting, there's a book called The Cities and Bishoprics of Phrygia. And I know you've all read it, but it bears repeating. (laughs) In the book, there's a description of an inscription found in the ancient city of Phrygia. And the inscription says, Tididios Amarimnos. And the scholars who are studying this inscription in the city of Phrygia said that's a guy's name, Tididios. And Amarimnos, scholars agree, is uh, probably what they called his baptismal name. That when you came to know Jesus Christ, the son of God as the forgiver of my sin, the rescuer of me, the caretaker of my soul, when you come to know Jesus Christ, they would give you a name at your baptism that characterized you. Things like Barnabas, that was a guy in the book of Acts, and that was his nickname, son of encouragement. Tididios, his nickname was Amarimnos. Ah means not, Marimnos means worried about stuff. So his name was literally Tididios, not freaking out about stuff. And that's what they chose to name him when he became a Christian. When you know Christ, you know peace. When you know the Prince of Peace, you know peace. And we need to figure out how to live into that. And that's what Paul's giving us today. And so he's going to step us into how to do that. And he's going to give us one thing to never do and three things to do. The thing he says to never do is in verse six, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Isn't that amazing? When should I be anxious, Paul? Be anxious about no thing. There is nothing you should ever be anxious about. And so I just want some of us to embrace that today. Anxiety is never godly. Anxiety is never godly. God is never gonna put something in your life and say, what I want for you, my will for you is that you just kind of freak out about this. (laughs) That's not what he wants. And yet some of us think there's some virtue to being stressed. We think there's some glory when someone asks you how you're doing. Oh my gosh, I'm just so busy. We think there's some value to that. God's saying, no, there is never a situation where what I'm asking you to do is be all spun up and freaked out about it. They'd be anxious for nothing. You go, how do I know if I'm anxious? The root of that word anxious is to be drawn in different directions or be distracted. When you find that your mind is constantly spinning about a thing so that you can't make clear-headed, informed decisions, you're anxious and you need to stop. Be anxious for nothing. And you go, well, that's super helpful. How am I supposed to do that? Well, he's going to tell us three things to do. Don't be anxious about anything, but what, Paul? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you see the parallel? He says, be anxious about no thing, but in everything, let your request be made known to God. So whenever I encounter a thing, school, money, career, family, when I get a thing, when the question's in front of me, should I be anxious about this thing? No, because no thing goes into the anxiety box, but everything should go in the prayer one, right? That's Paul's message. With everything, let your requests be made known to God. Now, he's going to tell us how in a minute, but I just love the way he says it. Did you notice the verb tense? It's not a command. He doesn't say, make your request known to God. He puts it in the passive. He says, let your request be made known to God. And what I love about that is it almost carries the idea that your requests want to be made known. You just got to let them. 
So when I was thinking about it, I don't know if it makes sense, but this is how I think about it in my mind, so we'll just see how it looks to you. But let's imagine (laughs) this tank of water is your soul, right? And over here, these ping pong balls, these are just concerns in life, not bad things, these are just things. And I told my staff, just, just put things on there that people could be concerned about, could be thinking about. And they put things like money and family and statistic status. So that makes more sense. Uh, my looks, one of them was, uh, I don't see it anymore, but one of them was Aggie football. And I'm like, that's a little cold-blooded, but that's fine. But uh, these are all things that you could get anxious about. And what happens to a lot of us is this stuff's introduced to our soul. You're like, oh my gosh, I met somebody cute and now we're going on dates and I got to buy him a gift and I think we're going to get married and so I hope her in-laws like me. And then, oh my gosh, we're going to have kids. We got another kid. We're having another kid. All right. And then you go, oh, we got this project at work and that project and all this stuff begins to pour into our life. What most of us do when we wake up in the morning is we wake up and go, oh, I got to get stuff done. And there's all this anxiety in our lives where we got to hurry up and get to work. So we go, what do we do with all this stuff I'm worried about, thinking about, anxious about? We go, I know, I'm going to suppress it. And let me just try to get it down to the bottom. Let me just stuff it down deep in my soul so that when people see me and go, how's it going? Even though my life is going insane on the inside, I think I'm having cardiac issues. I go, I'm doing great. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. I mean, I'm doing awesome. And we just try to push these things down, pretend like they're not problems. No, it's no big deal. Oh, I got this unlocked. Don't worry about it. No, I got this handled. And we just try to push it down in our soul. And what Paul's trying to say is, stop. If you're anxious about something, don't try to stuff it down in your soul. Let it come up. If you find that there's an issue in your life that you're thinking about a lot, and can't get to resolution on or peace on, even if it's a good thing. Quit trying to minimize it, pretend like it's no big deal, whatever. It wants to rise, let it rise. Let it rise to the surface. Now, does that mean that you let it rise with every person you talk to, you're passing somebody on the street and they go, how are you doing? Well, I'm stressed about my job, I'm stressed about my family and the in-laws are coming over and they're like, I don't care. Like, is that what I'm saying to do? No, I'm not saying you unpack it to everyone but you do unpack it to someone and you unpack it to the someone who's loving enough to want to hear it and strong enough to know what to do about it and wise enough to know when and how to deal with it. You unpack it to God and I let my requests be made known to him. I let them rise by prayer. That's a, that's a general term about conversation with God. And if I could implore you to do something today, it would be this, create space to talk with God. So few of us do that. Create space and protect it in your schedule to have a conversation with God. That's what Paul says. Don't be anxious, but create time to talk with him about this stuff and let these requests be made known to God. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some people go, I don't have time to do that. I'm too busy with all this stuff I'm stressed about. Let me tell you something that snipers say in the military. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And some of you, you get so busy with what I got to do for the kids, what I got to do for work, what I got to do for the family, what I got to do for the, you just, you get busy and you run around and you're busy. And what they say is when you're in the military loading a gun, if you're trying to be busy and hasty, you drop things, you miss targets, you become inefficient and ineffective. It's better to slow down 
and make better decisions and be more accurate. Because when you're slow, you're smooth. And when you're smooth, you're fast. And some of you just race into the day because you've got to make good decisions. You've got to make a million of them. And they're not always the best decisions. So yes, you're busy, but you're like an octopus on roller skates. It's a lot of movement, but it's not necessarily progress. It's not movement forward. And some of you, the wisest thing you may do is just slow down. I remember for me, when I was hiking alone in the Grand Canyon one time, I decided to take a walk to a waterfall. I went by myself, didn't bring a map, food, drink, anything. I thought it was a short walk. As I kept walking, I realized it's a little further than I thought. And so I started getting anxious. How far am I going? How long have I given myself to get back? I'm not even sure what time it is. I can't read by the sun because I'm in a canyon. And so I started to panic. And so the way I started to panic is I got to speed up. And I remember I passed a couple that they're like, oh, we're walking to that same waterfall too. Do you want to walk with us? And I'm like, no, son, y'all are like strolling. I'm gone. And so I'm just like power walking. And then I start sprinting. And then I'm like, surely I must have passed it by now. So I'm climbing to try to find it. And I'm going through butt, brush, scaring animals. I'm totally lost. Finally see it in the distance. Go through all this brush, get cut up, scraped up, bleeding. Finally arrive at the waterfall to see those, that couple uh, just sitting there at the edge eating a nice snack uh, that they brought. And they were like, what happened to you? And I said, I, I couldn't find it. They're like, you went racing past us. How did we beat you here? And I was like, I, I couldn't find it. And they were like, did you not see the, the big turn to the waterfall? No, I think I missed the turn. Like, did you miss that sign that said waterfall? <laughs> yeah, I think I missed the sign. And the truth is, if I would have slowed down, I could have made better decisions. And some of us, the reactionary way we deal with conflict with coworkers, conflict with our mates, conflict with our friends, difficulties and challenges with our kids, strategic decisions financially, we get hasty because we're stressed and we make bad decisions. It'd be better to slow down because slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. And so create the space to meet with God. Value it as important. Tell people you have an appointment and then keep it. And so for me, first thing in the morning, I have to do this. I come to God by prayer. And then it says, and supplication. Supplication's the specifics. That I tell him the things I'm worried about. That I'm presenting to him the particular things that are draining my emotions. And for me, what I do when I sit down to have a devotional time with God, I used to sit down and I'm like, okay, now I'm supposed to have my time with God. So I'm supposed to read. That's another thing on my list. I'm supposed to read a certain amount of the Bible. And I would stress out about that. And I realized that is not the point. The point is for Ben to meet with God. And so where I have to start when I meet with God is I get out a pen and paper and I just start writing out everything that's rolling around in my head and burning up in my heart. And it doesn't come out pretty. It doesn't come out clean. I remember watching a movie in high school called Madness. We had to watch it in science class. And there was one story about a guy who got a railroad spike shot through his uh, head and didn't die, uh, but it severed his frontal lobe, the part that filters what you say and don't say. And so they did a little reenactment of his life after that where he just had no governor on his emotions anymore. He walked up and was like, I'd like my job back, please. And they're like, well, you can't because you're crazy now. And he's like, I'm so sad and now I'll kill you. And you're attractive. What's your name? And I hate you again. And it was just kind of all over the place emotionally. And that's kind of how I pray now. When I sit with God, I don't try to clean it up, make it pretty. I don't make it disrespectful, but I make it real. God, let me tell you everything I'm worried about, everything I'm stressed about, everything in my heart. And I realize when I create that space, I often, as I give him the presenting issue, he shows me the underneath issue. God, I'm worried about this meeting I got to lead. 
Why? Because I needed to go, well, we need to accomplish some certain things. Why is that need that? What's so, why are you so much spun up about it? Because I want these people to see that I can get stuff done. Why do you want them to see that you can get stuff done? Because I want them to see me as a productive person. Why do you want them to see you as a productive person? Because I want to feel like I am a productive person. Why do you want to feel like, so then I can know I'm worthwhile. Oh, see, that's not about the decision you're making. That's about your sense of self-worth. And you're bringing that to the office, trying to get them to validate you. You're supposed to bring that to God, son. And the reality is we can get some emotional needs met that liberate us to make good, healthy, informed decisions on the surface if we create the space to let God deal with our hearts. And here's the good news about it. He wants to. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on the Lord. And I love that verb, cast them on him. And then it tells you why. Because he cares for you. Why unpack all this to God? I'm not advocating meditation because meditation, there's no one you're asking to fix it. You cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares. Because he cares. And not just because he cares, but because he can do something about it. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. I love that verb in Hebrew. It's literally the word to roll. They asked George Mueller one time, George Mueller who ran an orphanage, having to care for all these kids with varied issues, paying the bills, so much stress, but Mueller was always calm. And finally, somebody asked him, George, how do you do it? You're surrounded by all this crazy and all these needs and all this difficulty and limited funds. How are you so peaceful? And he said, because I rolled 60 cares upon the Lord this morning. He said, because I'm just obeying Psalm 55 that I take my cares and roll them onto the Lord. Why? Because he will sustain me. He cares and he'll sustain. Why do I bring my request to the Lord? Because he's strong enough to fix them, loving enough to hear them, and wise enough to know when and how to deal with him. That's why, because he's strong and loving and wise. He's a good dad. And so I bring them to him with thanksgiving. I get perspective. My God cares about me. And what happens in verse seven is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. Surpasses all understanding. It's like when you begin to trust God with the things you're concerned about in life, his peace will land in your heart and it will defy comprehension in the people around you. It will be up and above over under your standing. So Abraham Lincoln, During the Civil War, General Lee marched 76,000 troops into Pennsylvania, and when they crossed the border, panic hit Washington, D.C. And yet when everybody was panic-stricken, Abraham Lincoln was noted to be, and I'll quote, strangely confident. And so a general who was wounded at Gettysburg asked him about it later, and this is what Abraham Lincoln said, president during the Civil War. When everyone seemed panic-stricken, I went into my room. I got down on my knees before Almighty God, and I prayed. And soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul that God Almighty had taken the whole business into his own hands. All the weight of these decisions, I went into a room, and I handed them to God Almighty, the ruler of all this. And when I cast my anxieties and panic on him, 
Abraham Lincoln was able to rise from his knees and make good decisions as a leader when everyone else was running panic-stricken. Why? Because he cast his care on the Lord and a peace that defies comprehension garrisoned his heart. I love that word, guards it like a soldier. Paul's sitting there in prison. He's like, the peace of God will, it'll do like what Bob's doing over there. Just guard me, right? Just stand at the gate. It's like a bouncer on your soul, right? When anxiety tries to get in, he's like, you're not on the list. I don't know you. Get out of here. The more I trust God, he cares for me, right? Now, the reality is some of us hear this and you go, okay, Ben, that's not sufficient. Just try to empty my mind. Just, I'm not going to be anxious. Here, God, I'm not going to be anxious about this. I'm not going to freak out about this. I'm not going to stress about this. I'm not going to stress about this thing. I'm going to give it to you, God, this thing. I'm not going to freak out about it. I'm not going to freak about this. Stop being anxious about this. If that's what you're saying to do, no, that's part of it. That I take the things I'm anxious about when I feel that I'm anxious and I give them over to the Lord. But that's not the end of the command. I let my request be made known. And then after I release, I embrace I release my anxiety and I embrace his truth. You see it in verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He says, after you've entrusted the thing that's making you anxious to the Lord, set your mind on the most beautiful, commendable, lovely things. I remember we had a girl in our office at Breakaway when I first got on staff there. She had a, uh, a significant illness that was chronic. And there was one week where it took her out of the office almost all week. And uh, that was rare for her because she loved her job. And I remember her friends were telling me, yeah, this is a very difficult time physically. And someone with her ailment that's her age that she knew just died this week. And so in the midst of her weakness, she's feeling the mortality of it. And it's a pretty serious, somber week. And so when I saw her again, I thought I would see a pretty serious and somber girl. Instead, she came bouncing into the office, super excited to share with me what she'd been learning. I thought she would have been in her bed just moping and, and completely crushed. And she was like, Ben, it was so great. I mean, it wasn't great. It was painful and hard and difficult. But she said, I was reading a book about a chaplain with a brain tumor. And he was going to die and he knew it. They couldn't operate on it. It was going to kill him. And this guy trusted the Lord. And then just the understanding of the brevity of life filled every moment with so much meaning that he was harnessing every conversation to speak truthfully and gracefully to people. And I'm so inspired by his life. I want to live like this. And she was just going on and on and on to me in my office about how beautiful this man's life is and how she wants to emulate that with every day that God would give her. And I was like, wow, you have done Philippians 4. In the midst of your pain, you trusted God with it and you set your mind on the absolute most beautiful, commendable, lovely way to respond. And you lived into it till you were lit ablaze by it. That is amazing. And that's what he says to do. I trust God with what I'm anxious about and then I forcefully turn my mind and I say, what's true? Anxiety often lies to us about the situation. But he says, what's true? What's reality? Let me settle in on that. What's honorable? What's the most respectful, dignified thing to do? I got a difficult decision at the office. What's the most honorable way to handle that situation? What's the way that if they were making a movie about my life, when I made that decision, people wouldn't go, ooh. But they would go, wow. And they would play music with like strings and horns and go, well done, right? What's the most honorable way to respond? 
What's the most just? What's the right thing to do that cares about people? What's pure? What's the way to respond to this issue that's not mixed motives? That I'm saying this, but really mean that. I'm saying I'm doing it for this reason. It's really for that reason. Let me not live like that. I don't want to be duplicitous. God, what's the most pure way to respond to this difficulty in my life? What's the most lovely? What's the way I could treat that coworker that if people around me saw it, they'd go, that was beautiful. What, what prompted you to respond that way? That is not normal. What's the most commendable, excellent, praiseworthy way to engage the world? I want my mind to dwell there. That's the word, think on these things. I want my mind to live in that space. Lord, show me what it is to live like that, a life that pleases you. And not only do I let my mind dwell there, verse nine, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Don't just think about lovely ways of living under God. Live into that space. Live your life there. Don't live the craziness driven by stress. Live the beauty driven by a trust in a sovereign God. That's where you want to live, right? So I release anxiety and I embrace the truth of God. And then I practice these things. And I love that he says what you've learned and heard and seen and perceived in me. He says, get around people that are doing this and live into that. So I've realized for me, I don't know how to be a dad. I've got three kids or one on the way about to have three kids, three and under. I don't know what I'm doing. And there are several times during the day in my house where I'm like, I don't know what a present father in the life of a three-year-old girl is supposed to do. And I'll be in these moments. I'm like, I'm totally lost. Like, should I reprimand you for that or give you freedom to express yourself? You know, should I be like, she's being creative. Let her destroy the table. Or if I should say, no, we don't do that with our fork. I don't know. I really don't know. And the reality is I'm worried about, I'm going to mess up my kids. I'm going to make them. They're going to grow up and be like, I hate you. And I'm like, I know, right? I hate me too. And like the anxiety can get there. (laughs) And what I've realized is I got to trust the Lord with these kids, man. And then what's the best thing I can do for them? I don't let the anxiety grip my heart. What I do, I trust the Lord with them and then I seek the Lord and go, God, I want to live with you and I want to live with you in a way that's honorable and true and beautiful and lovely and I want to get around people who are living like that. So I had lunch with a guy on Friday. Successful in business, done a lot of impressive things, had people write articles and books about him and we sat and talked about what he was like as a dad. I said, that's what I want to hear, man. How'd you raise your kids? When I was a youth pastor here at Faithbridge, before I even had kids, I would scope out the really healthy children. <laughs> and I would note who their parents were. And I'd say, hey, what are, what are you doing over here? What's happening here? And they're always so humble about it. Like, oh, it's just the grace of God. I'm like, exactly, through you. So talk to me. Tell me what you've been doing. <laughs> and I get around people that are living a beautiful, commendable life. And I say, this is the space I want to live in. It's the kind of life I want to live. That's what he says. I let my mind live there and then I let my life live there. I practice these things with the community. I release anxiety. I embrace the truth of God. I release anxiety and the peace of God will be with me. I embrace his truth and what does it say? And the God of peace will be with me. He doesn't just give me his peace. He gives me himself. And that's where I want to live. I want to live with him because he's strong enough to handle my problems. He's loving enough to want to hear him. And he's wise enough to know when and how to deal with them. So I want to walk with him and not worry that much. 
And finally, you may hear this and go, well, Ben, is this just wishful thinking? You just go and say, God, make these problems better. I, you know, what do you do? How do you have any guarantee that your life will work out? It says the peace of God will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Where does my stability come? It comes in my union with him. That the world is a dark, sad, broken place. And there's a lot of dark, sad, broken things in here. But the good news of Christmas is that Jesus broke into the darkness. And to those who sat in darkness, they have seen a great light. So the prophet said. Here he is, Jesus Christ. The love of God was manifest to us in this, that God sent his son that we might live through him. That I look and say the world is a broken place, but into the brokenness, God sent a healer. Into the darkness, God sent a light. Into the sadness, God sent a lover of my soul. He sent a hero, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who beat death, beat sin, beat shame, and opened up a whole new path for those who trust in him, a path that goes racing into life. And I want to belong to him. I can be united to him. And if he took the worst day in human history, the brutal murder of his son, Jesus Christ, and made it the instrument of my redemption, then he'll take the difficult things in my life and even redeem those. And so I trust him. You're strong and you are loving and you are wise. I'm yours. And it's to the degree that I rest in Jesus, I find peace no matter what life will throw at me. So Louis Zamperini ran in the Olympics in the 1920s, was drafted in World War II, became a bomber. His plane went down in the ocean. They're making a movie about him this month, Unbroken, built around the book written about him, Unbroken. Crash landed, and was adrift at sea for 47 days. 47 days out in the middle of the ocean, became emaciated, 90 pounds. Olympic athlete reduced to 90 pounds. Finally, his raft was discovered after harrowing days of attacks by sharks and whatnot, but he was found by the enemy and locked in a POW camp for a few years where he was brutally tortured physically and mentally and emotionally. And as they made the movie... I'm sad about it. I hope it's not true, man. I read an interview about the movie and they said the movie is about the buoyancy of the human spirit. About how Louis Zamperini, he did it. Go human spirit. But when you read the book, that is not what happened in Louis' life. Louis survived the sea. He survived the POW camp and he made it back to America. And when he made it back to America, he had PTSD, man totally traumatized and had no resources to deal with it. So he did what a lot of people do in high stress like that. He tried to bury it in alcohol, which compounded problems. And he would have horrible flashbacks and nightmares and woke up one night and he was choking his wife. She came home one day and he was shaking their screaming baby. He became dead set on revenge in his mind. He became an angry, drunk, violent man and his wife said it's not safe for me and my baby to be here anymore Louis Zamperini broke and before his wife left they decided to go to a Billy Graham conference together he was speaking out in LA and Billy talked about how no human being can commend themselves to God it's only by the finished work of Jesus that we can have any hope in this life and Louis Zamperini was offended walked out and he walked out and realized I have nowhere to go so he went back the next night. And Billy Graham said, there's some of you that are lost and adrift on the sea of life, but there is a God who is sovereign over the stars and he sees you and he knows you and he sent Christ for you. And Louis Zamperini realized, I have no hope or resources in myself to deal with the stress of what I've endured. 
And so he walked down that aisle and he gave his life to Christ. And as Louis walked away, it says that night he went home and he threw out all his liquor and pornography. And the next day he got out his Bible and sat under a tree. Resting in the shade and the stillness, Louis felt a profound peace. When he thought of his history, what resonated with him now was not all that he had suffered, but the divine love that he believed had intervened to save him. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that his tormentors had striven to make him. In a single, silent moment, his rage, fear, humiliation, and helplessness had fallen away. That morning, he believed and was a new creation. That's how you remain unbroken. He rested in the care of a loving God who sent a hero, Jesus Christ, to save even Louis and you and me. And to the degree that you rest on the shoulders of a strong and loving God, you will be a supernaturally peaceful person. And that's my prayer for you this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you that you're very honest with us. Even the people that, are, that know you and love you, you tell us in this world, you will have trouble. It's going to be hard. And you said, but take heart because I've overcome the world. That though darkness may last for a night, joy will come in the morning. That for the people who have rested in the finished work of Jesus, all of our darkness will end in a great sunrise. We have hope for the future. And God, we rest in that. And Lord, if there's any in this place that don't know you like that, they thought religion was, hey, be a good person. I pray they'd hear that's not what you're selling, God. You're telling us we're a mess and Jesus came to make us clean. We're broken and he came to heal. We're lost, he came to find. And what God wants is for us to rest in the finished work of Jesus, to be loved by him, forgiven by him, embraced by him. And if you've got questions about that, please come ask us. But you can pray that now and say, Jesus, if you're adopting people into the family of God, I want in. I want in. And then God, for those of us who know you, may we not live in the midst of this season that's a declaration of your power and love. You broke into the darkness to send the son of God to earth and you did it because you love us. As we live in this season, may we not let our minds be filled with the anxieties of the uncertainties of work and family and and other stresses. But God, help us learn the rhythm now of casting our anxiety on you because you care and then leaning into your truth and trusting you and finding that your peace is there for us. And I just want to invite you as we close to maybe take a second and to ask him, God, what would it look like for me to establish a rhythm of creating the space to cast my anxiety on you? Maybe it's a moment in the morning you can steal away. Maybe it's time in your car. Maybe the best you can do now is just five or 10 minutes where you just go sit somewhere in the dark and just pour out your heart to him. But ask him, what would it look like, God, for me to begin a rhythm of casting all my cares upon you? And then ask him, God, what would it look like for me to be someone who thinks about the pure and excellent and beautiful things? What might that look like in my car? What might that look like at my house, at the office, to set my mind on things that are lovely and commendable, to rest in the knowledge that you are a good king and a loving father? 
Lord, I pray that the world would see in the Christians a peace that defies comprehension because we are resting in the strength and in the love of our God. Let that be our story for your glory, God, and for their good. Amen. Welcome to Postscript from Faithbridge Church. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the message by sitting down with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group Director, and I'm here with Ben Stewart, who just gave us a very timely message on anxiety, um, as we found looking at Philippians today. Um, you touched on it briefly, but let's just um, ask a little bit more about it. You talked about when you're, you begin to look at the root of anxiety, um, you can often find a disbelief or maybe not a full trust in God. Can you speak to that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Jesus is very direct about it in Luke 12. You know, it's a long section where he's telling his disciples, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, anything like that. And he said, because the Gentiles do that. What he means by that is people that don't know God, they worry about that kind of stuff. And he said, but your father knows you need it. And so the perspective he's given believers is if if you've come to know Jesus Christ, you're, you're called adopted as a son. So God is your dad. And so... To not believe he's going to care for you is to declare to the world and to God, you're not a good dad. And that's why Jesus says later, oh, you of little faith. Like he tells them, your anxiety is the presenting issue. The deep underlying issue is you don't think God is trustworthy uh, or will take care of you. So your anxiety is a declaration to the world that God is not worthy of your trust. And that's why to Jesus, anxiety was serious. Right. And he's presenting this to disciples that he expected would die. He says, you're going to face trials that will end in your condemnation. And the people that really trust God can be peaceful, even in the midst of craziness like that, injustice like that, because I believe God's taking care of me. And that doesn't mean I don't have an argument with this way things are going or want to change that or whatever. But at the end of the day, I I trust God. And uh, so for me, when I'm anxious about something, I go, what is it that I fear I'm going to lose or fear I'm going to not get? And do I think God's not going to take care of me? I ask myself those questions because that is the root issue. So we had a question come in, um, someone interested in learning more about um, and reading more, uh, the kind Mm -hmm. of books that you're reading and reference today. Um, Some biographies of people who have lived out Philippians 4. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, George Mueller is who I mentioned, you know, and uh, he's great. Um, It's funny. I I thought y'all planted that, but you did it. It's funny because I I wanted to quote so bad. one biography I love and didn't get to, and it's a guy by the name of John Patton. I think I've mentioned him here before. Patton was the minister to the New Hebrides, you know, and he went back in the day, wife and child died on the island from disease while he's trying to minister to cannibals who are trying to kill him. And so you read his book and it's like an action novel, but it's also a journal. It's him writing it and he's writing about how he interacted with the Lord and how he trusted God through it. And it's so powerful. But there's one line I wanted to read, if you're okay with this. This is from his autobiography. He was in his little hut that he had built 
And these guys told him, hey, these people are coming to kill you because that was kind of the norm for him. And they said, so you need to go climb this tree. But the people telling him that were a little suspect, too. So he's like, I don't trust any of you people. I don't know what to do, but I can't stay in the house. So he gets out of there and he's literally he's in this tree. And this is what he wrote. Being entirely at the mercy of such doubtful and vacillating friends, I, though perplexed, felt it best to obey. I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets, the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among the chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glory, my God, I would not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. And then he talks to the reader. If thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? And uh, so he writes his story, but it's also a sermon of this is how God cared for me. This is how he led my life and the impact I got to have. When you're alone in the darkness, do you have a friend you can lean on like that? So beautiful. So I'd highly recommend John Patton's autobiography, awesome. The Missionary to the New Hebrides. It sounds um, exciting as yeah, well. Yeah, right. um, okay, so you'll be back next week to finish up for the year with us. Yes. And um, so tell me a, um, give me a little look into where we're, are we going to continue to move in Philippians? Yeah, you know, we won't cover all the rest of it, but we'll cover um, the subject of contentment. Mm-hmm. How and Paul how nice that goes with anxiety. I know. Great. So, well, yeah. <laughs> it was a pleasure to have you back today. Look Thanks. forward to next week. And thank you for joining us today for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org forward slash postscript.